This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi, hello from uh, California. San Francisco? Hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. San Francisco. Hello, San Francisco. Um, hi from New York City. And? How are good, you? Good. Well, we hope that people are listening to our, uh, or watching our television show, of course, listening to the radio shows, but also watching our television show, right, Hyde? You want to tell them when it is? Sure. We have a weekly series now, and it's called Grief Relief, and it is on Sundays at 9 p.m. from 9 to 9.30 in the New York City area and all five boroughs, and we're also airing in Northern California. And we hope to be, we will be expanding out in the future. You can visit us though online. If you don't live in the New York City area or the Northern California area, if you go to opentohope.com, you can see all of our shows online. Yep, so you'll be able to well, watch the radio shows there, and we have, you know, all of our things uh, tagged for content. So uh, we hope you'll also look at our new books we have online, and we do have a new spouse loss book online. And uh, we hope that that's some of our wonderful authors from Open to Hope that have written on spouse loss. There's an ebook there, and we hope you'll go there and download that and some of our other wonderful books, such as Signs of Hope from Heaven, which is also a new one that we're very excited about. So please visit us and look at our books on site. So as I said, we have a spouse loss book on, and that's what our show is about today. And uh, we have a wonderful guest on who's written a great book. Would you like to introduce her, Heidi? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, we are going to be talking about the sudden death of a husband today, and our guest is Diane Detman. Diane is the author of 28 Snow Angels, A Widow's Story of Love, Loss, and Renewal, a memoir about the sudden death of her 54-year-old husband. She is also a contributing author for the Women's Voices for Change website. Diane's writing has been featured on other online sites and in various print publications. Welcome to the show, Diane. Well, thank you, Heidi, so much. I'm glad to be here. It's great having you on, and uh, I've really enjoyed your book. You know, um, one of the things that I found really interesting about the book, because when my son was killed uh, 25 years ago in an automobile accident, I was teaching at the University of Rochester and was a psychiatric nursing consultant to the surgical service and, you know, had a, a, a very responsible job. And so when I read your book, he- hearing about you're going back to work and all that, I, I really found it very interesting because I don't think uh, people talk a lot about how it was to go back to work. And, and I thought as I was reading this, this woman must have kept a journal because this is so true. So you did keep a journal, right? I've, I've been a writer for my whole life, and yes, I've, I've um, had journals prior to my husband's death, and then also as I went through the process, that was part of the healing process for me, actually doing a lot of the writing and recording the the incidences and the difficulties and things. So, yeah. You know, uh, Heidi was in college, too, so she had a lot of responsibility. So I'm sure a lot of uh, the things that you're talking about and the things that I kind of gleaned from your book, you know, uh, we're all going to identify with. So talk about um, how your husband died suddenly, right? Right. It was kind of, we kind of knew it was coming. Um, he was born prematurely with a chron- with a chronic lung condition in 1946. And so... He kind of struggled with this all his life, but he re- lived a very normal life. He worked full time and everything. Everything was great. 
And then in uh, January of 2000, we thought he had the flu, and he ended up in the hospital uh, in April in intensive care, and then uh, came home and seemed pretty normal, and everything was going fine, and then he ended up back um, in the intensive care unit in June, and then uh, came home on June 2nd. I mean, he re- he came home on June 2nd from the hospital, and then he ended up uh, passing away here at home suddenly at 3 in the morning on the 30th of June. And so, you also ended up doing CPR, and how do we know that it's very difficult for people who've had those kinds of experiences, isn't it? Really, it is. It's really traumatic because sometimes when you've had a traumatic loss like this, you keep playing those last minutes in your head over and over. And sometimes, I mean, I know with my brother, I did constantly see the car accident and it's almost like the trauma narrative it takes a while for us to get that out of our head mm-hmm. my heart goes Absol- out to you absolutely I when I walked in that room at 3 in the morning I had just checked on him at 11 he was on oxygen and medications and he was doing just fine when I walked in I just patted him on the arm I was sleeping in the other just in the room next to him because I wanted to make sure he got his rest when I walked in at 3 I had this horrible feeling when I walked in. It was cold in the room before I even turned the light on. And I flipped Mm -hmm. the light on and there he was and just gone. And I just screamed and I Mm -hmm. ran for the phone. I didn't even have a, you know, a portable phone or was a phone in the, um, I had a landline in the bedroom. So I had to run and get the phone and I was terrified. And then the first Mm -hmm. thing, of course, they do is talk you through the CPR. And I, I was frantic. I was so I knew I knew in my head I couldn't get him back, but I did everything I could, and it was just mm-hmm. so hard. And the flashbacks have stayed with me forever. I can't even watch it like a TV show anymore, with, where they're doing CPR on somebody. Mm, yeah. Well, at the time that your husband died, now um, you had been taking care of him for a while, and you were a school teacher, fifth grade. Is it fifth or sixth? It was fifth, fifth grade. grade. Uh, you don't have any children of your own, and I'm assuming that those kids were your children in many ways. And I know you talk a lot in the book about feeling the guilt of having to be with your husband at the hospital and that kind of thing. And then he does pass away, and you, three weeks later, Heidi, take on a new job as a master teacher. I mean, wow. traveling all over the United States, right, with a team? Yes, a team of people I had never met before. I interviewed for the position two weeks after the funeral. And um, my sister helped me kind of get there and waited for me while I was in the interview. And the principal said, well, we have to interview a couple other candidates. And so I came home here, and I just laid in the bed with the phone and thought, well, if I don't get this job, what? And if I get it, what? And so he called me shortly after that and said he wanted me on board. And so... About three days later, I went in and met with him and two other colleagues of mine that I had never met. And five minutes later, I was on the phone making reservations for a hotel room. Isn't that incredible? Unbelievable. (laughs) It is. It sounds like Diane was just on autopilot, doesn't it? Yeah. Wow. I was. You know, and that's one of the things that it brought me back to, um, that I, I'm not a journaler, and it brought me back to how I was overly confident at work. I was so confident. Went back two weeks after Scott was killed, went back to the hospital where I worked uh, as a liaison person on a surgical service in ICU, and I had a beeper and ward around, taught college students, you know, totally out there doing my job, you know. 
You know, absolutely. And I, I that, that was a very similar experience with myself. I kind of just threw myself into this position. And I really had never heard anything about the background of the program or anything. But I just pushed myself every day. And I think in the hindsight, it was a good thing in some ways. But it was almost like overload and kind of burying some of the grief. Yeah. And, and Heidi, how about you? Heading right off to college. Nobody knew. I actually had the opposite experience, though. I've got to tell you, Oh, Mom. did you? <laughs> you probably don't even... Yeah, I think you somehow know this, but you probably don't completely know this because I was kind of trying to be strong for my parents. But I went back to college two weeks after Scott died, got in a class. They wanted me to give a public speech, and I stood... I told the teacher, my brother just died, and he said, well, it's been two weeks. You should be over it. <gasps> so I stood up and just basically said to the class, this speech is about how I'm dropping this class because my brother died two weeks ago, and this professor thinks I should be over it. And then I proceeded to kind of do so poorly in school and get basically <laughs> failed that I dropped out of school for a semester. So wow. I kind of imploded. All right. Well, maybe. So I, could, I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't concentrate on anything. Well, maybe you're doing what uh, Diane and I should have been doing because, you, you know, <laughs> because, because you, can't, you can't do it when, well, I always feel sorry for kids that are in high school because you can't do it. I mean, you can't just stop. It's really But hard. a college person, I guess, you, you know, you could stop. And, but, you know, I just found that I'd go home and, and fall apart. And Diane, talk about you ended up in a in a hospital feeling like you had a panic attack, right? Or you were having a heart yeah. attack. I did. I actually was in, uh, I went into the ER twice with anxiety and panic attacks. But you thought um, it was a heart one, attack at first. Yeah, I did. I did. And I, mm-hmm. I, I was doing a similar thing at night. I had even taken on a night class at the University of Wisconsin <laughs> teaching a class to graduate Of course. Students. Why not over-function? Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> really very deep. And so I got halfway through the class one night, and I just felt so weird. And I finally said, well, you know, I really am not feeling well. I drove myself to the emergency room because I just couldn't. I, couldn't, mm-hmm. I didn't really know what was going on. I thought it was, like That's you said, scary. a heart attack. Panic attacks are scary because they do feel like heart attacks. But you didn't even know it when you went to bed. I mean, I loved it. You were there, what, overnight? You still, you know, were you were letting people take care of you. That's what I got from that. Yeah, I was. And, you know, to be honest with you, it felt good. And and you said that you thought the hospital food was great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, considering I was eating uh, ice cream out of a carton and popcorn, uh, it was quite the improvement over my meals. That was one of the hard things, too, was facing eating alone here at home. Because, like I said, I have no no kids at all or adult children for support. And so I would come home to this 3,600-square-foot house by myself in the mm. evening after work, and then, you know, sit down and try to eat. So I started watching the Friends show <laughs> reruns on TV at 6.30 to keep myself company. Uh-huh. And then how long was it before you ended up in a psych unit? That was in January of 2002. It was January 29th. Um, see, what I, I thought after I got through that first year, I'd be okay. Right. Um, but I actually hit the wall 18 months out, and I, I actually I did call 911 because I was I was terrified that I you, know, you were going I was crazy, not making it. Yeah, I was so, absolutely. And, and Diane, Diane, it's to me, and I know to my mom, it's completely normal that this happened 18 months later yeah. because the second year is so permanent and it is so difficult, and the reality really sets in. What exactly was going on? Were you, were you was your anxiety at a high? Were you feeling like you were panicking, or when you called 911? Yeah, it was a lot of it was anxiety. 
and I was pacing the floor. I, I think I had just so many things I was trying to cope with and do between my job and this class I was teaching, and it just all kind of, and I had a trip ahead of me going to, I think it was out someplace out east for a training trip, and so it was just overload. It was just all this stuff just came, came tumbling out on top of me one morning, <laughs> and and I just called 911. It took me forever to dial it because I kept stopping and thinking I could get by. And then you went into a psych unit, and my thought is this. I have had this situation with many clients. I'm a psychologist in private practice. When they get to that point, if they call me first, and I can and I can normalize it for them, because what you were going through, a lot of what you were going through was normal. Being very overwhelmed and very anxious and feeling like the world was caving in on you. And those are the times where we need to get, if we're, we have people that are around us that can relate and that can normalize what we're going through and that can support us, sometimes our you know, these feelings of, I'm going to explode, I'm going crazy, can kind of just dissipate eventually on their own. I, I don't know, but I'm wondering. I, I think that was, could have been very helpful to me at that point in time. And I think part of my priorities were just to try to get through it, you know, and push myself through my job and all those things. And it was just kind of just do what I had to do, and then it just gets to the point you can't do it alone. You, you sometimes you do have to reach out for whole, uh, help, and it's a hard thing to admit to yourself that you need help. And 911 was a good place. It sounded to me like you did okay in the slack part, too. I mean... <laughs> They kind of took care of you. You, you. you could tell people that you were in the hospital. You could not do anything right now. I mean, you really, you have, I, my guess, I'll just say this, you have been such a disciplined person all your life. To let people down was just not something you could do without permission. Absolutely. And the one part that I still remember in that situation was the day we got in this little circle to sing songs. And the very first song was Amazing Grace. And I wow. still get tears in my eyes every time I hear that song or sing it at church. It just, it was a turnaround point for me. I just, I think that's when it kind of all started to kind of turn around and kind of lift me up in a way and put me in a different direction. But it was quite the experience. I would, you know, I'm glad. In some ways, it was a good thing to have happened because it really forced me to face it and deal with it and, and get help that really, really did make a difference. Right. Well, and also, sometimes when we are grieving, we often do feel like we're going crazy. We do yes. feel like we can't handle it. We do feel like maybe we are going to die of a broken heart because the feelings are so overwhelming. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. So new to us. and it's a paradox, that second year, Diane, because the reason that you're worse is because you're getting better. Because you're letting more in, and you're and you're more conscious of what's going on, and you, and your mind just said, "Hey, I need I need a break," and if, and if I'm not going to give it to myself, somebody else is going to help me give it to myself. Oh, well, we've got to get on to another piece of your book because I don't want to miss it, and that's online dating. Oh yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you tell, Diane? Uh, well, especially at the age of 58, I mean, I waited six years. I dated a couple guys uh, early on, but it just didn't work out for me. And I thought, you know, I'm going to just stay alone. And then um, I, a friend of mine who had been, uh, her name was Paula, and she had lost her fiancé in a car accident. And I just met her randomly at a consignment shop she owned. And she called me one day and she said, have you been dating? And I said, no. And she goes, well, try Match.com. And so I got on Match.com, and it, it just I just met 
you know, I got a wink from my husband. Now, wait a minute. Before that, I love the one you went online and you said that you met this guy for coffee. And then while you were having coffee, you found out that he lived in his friend's basement while he was getting a job. And I love what you said in there. Gee, he didn't put that in his profile. (laughs) (laughs) He was on one of the the earlier... um, single sites of some sort I was on, you know, and that's the thing, when I first started doing this, I wasn't familiar with the process at all, or which sites might be better or worse, and so it kind of, um, you know, your your ignorance or your inability to kind of figure it out may kind of put you in some certain positions, and my sister was really nervous about me dating online and things, so... Yeah, so that was an interesting experience, and that obviously didn't work out. <laughs> but then you met your husband, and I love the way you said, and when she first met him, Heidi, this is so funny, you went out for coffee or whatever, and then he wanted to take you and show you where he had lived before, and then he wanted to show you his car, and he had a Corvette or something, and, and, and you say, I'm, I'm going against Dr. Phil's advice, because Dr. Phil tells you not to go with him in the car. <laughs> Exactly right. I don't, and I didn't do that with any of these other guys I dated, you know, from online. I drove myself and I left alone and, you know, that type of thing. All the rules. For some reason, I'm, yeah, and I always called my sister before I went out on a date, uh, Mm -hmm. so that she would know that I was gone and I would call her when I got back and things. But Alan just had a certain air about him that was just so uh, open, and he was a widower himself. And so we kind of hit it off right away, and it, and it, it just kind of worked. And so, but I don't think I would have done that with the other two guys. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it when you said, "I'm sorry, Doctor Phil, but I'm going in his car." <laughs> <laughs> That's right, exactly. Which which is dangerous. You should not do that, obviously. So, I try to talk when I talk to widows that I meet at different um, events. I indicate that that's probably not the safest thing to do, that Dr. Phil would prefer you not do that. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, it worked for me. But uh, Well, I, I, so, oh, but, we've got to quickly tell people why you call your book Snow Angels, because it was it at Christmas time, and you went out and made uh, 28, for the 28 years you've been married, Snow Angels? It was New Year's Eve evening, and my husband and I originally would go out to um, dinner with a group of friends, and uh, they had called me, and I said, I just can't do that. It was just too hard for me. So I decided to go out in the, under the stars that night in the snow and make one snow angel for every year we were married. And, and oh, wow. so I... Um, I got, I, the goal was 28, but I ran out of speed around 19. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty cold. I, we live in Minnesota, and it was pretty cold that year. There was a bad winter, too, a lot of snow blowing and a lot of, <laughs> a lot of snow shoveling. So, but, but I, yeah, in the book, I just, I just, it, it took me seven years to write the book, and with lots of stops and starts, I wasn't sure if I wanted to share such a personal story with the world. Um, with all I Diane, went through, can I buddy. tell you something interesting? Why? I've got to stop you for a minute. I just finished doing a longitudinal study with the 9-11 widows, and it took them seven years to finally reach a place of hope again after the really? loss of their, of their husbands. Oh so it's interesting God. that it took you seven years to finish this book. 
it did because I just kept resisting it and trying to, and going back to photographs or entries in my notebooks, it triggered so much, many flashbacks that it was hard to kind of stay focused on it to keep keep it moving forward. But you did, so and was, you're remarried now to Alan, and you, I think one of the things that you say in the book is lovely, that you don't forget, Alan doesn't forget his wife, you don't forget your husband who passed away, you still honor them, but you're having a, a wonderful marriage together. And I would like you to read for us the last paragraph, I mean the paragraph of your book, because I think it's so inspirational. I will be more than happy to do that. During my years alone, I discovered a strength and perseverance inside me that I knew would always be there, no matter what. Knowing that loss would happen again, I planned to grasp the morning sunrises like they were the first crimson horizon I had ever seen. I realized life on Earth is a process of sunsets, sunrises, and sunsets. In between, you live and breathe what life brings you. Ah, thank you. That is so great. Well, tell us how people can get your book, 28 Snow Angels, A Widow's Story of Love, Loss, and Renewal. It's available on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback, and it's also on Barnes & Noble in paperback, and at several independent bookstores in different parts of the country. And do you have a website where we can find you? Uh, Yes, you do. I do. It's um, www.outskirts.com press.com slash snow angel. All right. Well, Diane, thank you so much for being on the show today. And uh, I think you just have a great story and, and you're so inspirational. And thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to do this and for sharing part of your loss. And I'm so sorry for your loss. And I just am so happy that people like you and myself can share our stories and help others. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. Well, Heidi, that's uh, been a really interesting show talking about this and lots of fun. I mean, there are a lot of laughs and fun that go on in life, aren't there? Absolutely. I love Diane's story, and I love how candid and open and honest she is about it. And like you said, Mom, she's, she's such a great example of someone that's transformed her life. And here she is in a new relationship, but she still brings she never forgets her husband. Like you said, he lives on forever in her heart, and now she has this new husband also. Absolutely. Well, blessings to all of you out there who have had loss, and take care of yourself and tune in again next week, and God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.